Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 65 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Today is 12-21-2021. That's December 21st, 2021, the winter solstice. The days have already started getting longer here in the Northern Hemisphere, and since there was a little more natural light, I thought I'd take another look at what we should be celebrating and taking from Shakyamuni's Enlightenment, which we celebrated earlier on Bodhi Day. I had hoped to um, do a Bodhi Day episode, but I was uh, struggling with my own darkness over here in the last month uh, due to multiple issues. Uh, One of them was a couple of windstorms and um, power failures and internet failures and, well, lots of stuff, but, (laughs) and that's the nature of life, right? So um, from that darkness, let's walk into the light. We'll walk in together. But before I jump in, I wanted to share a couple of things. The first one is very light-filled. I want to add a special shout out to the 300 plus people. That's right. More than 300 people took advantage of my offer of a free download of the Kindle version of my book, Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. It was my gift to you on Bodhi Day, and I hope it will add some light to your life from now on. Next, I'm excited to share that I launched an Introduction to Buddhism course in November as a free offering for all my community and everyday Sangha members, of which uh, at any time you can join the Everyday Buddhism community or Everyday Buddhism Everyday Sangha. Just go to my website, www.everyday-buddhism.com and look for Join Membership Community or Sangha. But anyway, back to the Introduction to Buddhism course. It is a 10-unit course split in two parts. The course meets virtually through Zoom every other Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. We are halfway through this first course session, but I plan to offer it at least twice a year, of course, depending on the gracious and awesome help of our course facilitator, Bradley Nussbaum. So that's it for the housekeeping on with the episode. You know, as I listened to the December 2019 episode celebrating Bodhi Day in the thought that I may just be reissuing it before I had multiple infrastructure technology failures, but I couldn't help noticing how my voice sounded lighter and happier in those pre-pandemic times. I know it's been a hard, hard two years for all of us, and we're about to enter the third year of the pandemic, something I don't think any of us could even imagine. 
Hearing myself and reflecting on then and now made me sad. But I tried to acknowledge and hold that sadness as part of this, right? Just this, this life I'm living now, that we're all living now. I tried to hold that as in my body and not reject it rather than turning away from it or wishing it wasn't so. This is an important practice that comes from what Shakyamuni Buddha taught and what he promised with his enlightenment. To understand what Gautama Buddha, who became Shakyamuni Buddha, promised, it's helpful to look at the collection of the original teachings of the Buddha, known as the Nikayas in the Pali tradition or the Pali canon. They contain essentially four collections summarized as long discourses, middle-length discourses, uh, a collection of themed discourses, and those that they call um, numbered discourses or literally referred to as increase by one discourses. According to Bhikkhu Bodhi from the book that he edited, um, In the Buddha's Words, an anthology of discourses from the Pali Canon, he cautions that when we read ancient religious literature, we can, quote, never fully avoid inserting ourselves and our own values into the subject we are interpreting. Unquote. Now, depending on our personal biases, we might think of the Buddha as, in Bhikkhu's words, quote, a liberal ethical reformer of a degenerate Brahmanism, as a great secular humanist, as a radical empiricist, as an ex- existential psychologist, as the proponent of a sweeping agnosticism, or as the precursor of any other intellectual fashion that meets our fancy. The Buddha who stares back at us from the text will be too much a reflection of ourselves and too little an image of the enlightened one, unquote. Now, this really struck a chord with me. Since we're living in a time where it seems most people are living in their own self-made and mostly virtual echo chambers, where personal biases and predispositions appear as things as they really are, rather than the mental constructs that are none other than different color filters of everyone and everything we see, filters over what could be our awakened eyes. These echo chambers have been a dangerous precedent for a while. The Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde disaster that resulted from social media, which social media was promised to strengthen our communication and connection, but instead reinforced our existing biases and created new ones through the seemingly sinister algorithms applied to all social media platforms by their corporate controllers. 
And it has become even more dangerous since the beginning of the pandemic and following the most recent U.S. presidential election and all the events that have followed that. Now, before you go running away from the rest of this podcast episode to leave some snarky comment on Apple Podcast iTunes, um, uh, believe me, there are a few of you who who have left comments and maybe you're not listening anymore. Of course, that probably is true. Uh, Those who leave comments on my podcast that I'm political or make anti-conservative snarky comments or make at least one snarky reference to conservatives in every podcast. You know, to you, I have something to say. I believe it's the very biases I'm talking about that are what's driving some of you to comment about my quote-unquote political stance. Biases that have you deciding and judging that a Buddhist podcast shouldn't mention politics, or what's worse, a Buddhist podcast host shouldn't share her own struggles with her own biases and how they cloud how she feels or sees. You know, most of the comments I've received like this were on episodes where I was admitting my own screwed up thinking. Guess what? I'm human. It's a pivotal part of Buddhism that screwed up thinking is part of being human. And being a Buddhist doesn't make you free from this screwed up thinking. Even the Buddha had that human tendency. But in in enlightenment, it just went away faster. It didn't go away completely. And to continue my two cents, since I mentioned this, had those of you who commented on what you saw as my quote-unquote politics taken the time to listen without the filter of your own biases that dictated to you what a Buddhist podcast should talk about, you might have hung around long enough to notice that I frequently tell personal stories about how I am not thinking and behaving the way I know the Buddha illustrated I should. I purposely use myself as an example of the very human tendency to have screwed up thinking and how we might find a way to short circuit that thinking and limit it limit its frequency or duration. So, there, I said it. (laughs) The central hook on which all of the Buddha's teachings hinge is right understanding. Seeing things as they are. That means seeing all things, not just what you wish to look at or not what you wish to avoid looking at. You know, I've talked about this over and over and over again. It's about the three marks of existence. Now, the three marks are, again, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, which I refer to as life being crappy sometimes, and non-self. But we humans are subject to delusion about these three marks. And it's this delusion that results in our suffering or are feeling like life is pretty crappy. And it's the removal of that delusion that results in 
the end of suffering, which is the key to the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught in his first turning of the wheel. And so now that I have sneakily inserted and not too sneaky, I see, inserted a rebuttal to a few of the comments I keep reading. I, yeah, I don't keep reading. They're, they're not that many, but there's a few of them on the Apple Podcast platform. I'll continue on. So again, from Bhikkhu Bodhi in the Buddha's words, quote, we can never fully avoid inserting ourselves and our own values into the subject we are interpreting but we can limit the impact of personal bias on the process of interpretation by giving the words of the text due respect. When we take seriously their own account of the background to the Buddha's manifestation in the world, we will see that they ascribe to his mission nothing short of a cosmic scope, which I will interject, similar similarly to Jesus coming as the light of the world. So Bhikkhu Bodhi continues, quote, against the background of a universe with no conceivable bonds in time, a universe within which living beings enveloped in the darkness of ignorance wander along bound to the suffering of old age, sickness, and death, the Buddha arrives as the, quote from the Pali Canon, torchbearer of humankind, unquote, bringing the light of wisdom. His arising in the world is, quote from the Pali Canon, the manifestation of great vision, of great light, of great radiance, unquote, from the Pali Canon. Having discovered for himself the perfect peace of liberation, he kindles for us the light of knowledge, which reveals both the truths that we must see for ourselves and the path of practice that culminates in this liberating vision. Unquote from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Now as Buddhists, we celebrate the light of awakening at Bodhi Day. It is a celebration of the historical Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama. It's a celebration of his attainment of enlightenment. But it is also the celebration of what Siddhartha awakened to. He awakened to the possibility of all our enlightenment. In other words, if he could do it, we could too, and he knew we could. Or, as I just quoted, the kindling of the light of knowledge for all of us. That light, the light that enables us to see the path of practice that the Buddha laid out for us. And this should not be thought of as some far off mystical and improbable happening that might take thousands of lifetimes to attain or a one lifetime of renunciate living. Enlightenment is a possibility for all of us just as we are. It is our birthright 
as Shakyamuni's awakening demonstrated. Now, there may be traditional and more orthodox Buddhist practitioners that, that will vehemently disagree with this, as I'm saying it, and vehemently disagree with the presentation of enlightenment as I lay it out. But many also agree with me. You know, I've talked before about this time of the year, about my personal rush to string lights like a madwoman inside and outside of the house, starting at Thanksgiving, trying to lighten the dark days of December. Yet it is the very darkness that is the messenger of our enlightenment. We know that a primary teaching of Buddhism is conditioned existence. Now, conditioned existence means that everything that arises, every event, phenomenon, thought, word, action, etc., is conditional. That means it depends on an infinitely complex web of other things and other people, each of which are themselves conditional upon an infinitely complex web of other other things and other people and other circumstances and so on and so on and so on. Distill it down, to distill it down to the simplest terms. Without cold, we would not have heat. How could we know heat as heat if not for the experience of cold? And how could we know the experience of light without darkness. Now, my stringing these lights at Thanksgiving doesn't really make the darkness go away. It only enlightens the area where the lights are shining. When I turn them off, there there's darkness again. And the darkness does remain. But we need that darkness in December to quiet our thoughts and turn our gaze inward. We shouldn't be hanging lights to avoid or to be ignorant of the darkness that exists both outside and inside of us, but only in celebration of our own awareness of the light that is always shining inside of us. Darkness allows us, invites us to do that. And it would only be with that darkness that we would look for that light. In the story of the Buddha's meditation, an awakening experience on the under the Bodhi tree, Shakyamuni vowed not to move from the spot until he had attained the goal of liberation from the sorrows of the world. It was a challenge to him, a challenge of death or enlightenment. And what makes the story more engaging is that Mara, or a god or a demon personifying lust and death, attempted to move Shakyamuni with beautiful women and sexual desire and monsters and ridicule, saying no one would believe that Shakyamuni attained enlightenment since it was the seat that belonged to Mara. Now Shakyamuni dismissed the temptations of Mara by reaching down and touching the earth. And it was the earth who would bear witness to Shakyamuni, speaking for Shakyamuni's enlightenment, which happened then as Venus, the morning star, rose in the sky. Now, according to this legend, when Siddhartha saw Venus, he said, how marvelous I, the great earth, and all beings are naturally and simultaneously awakened. 
See, as Shakyamuni was awakened by the Dharma, or the spirit of Buddha nature, he proclaimed that the great earth and all beings are also awakened. This means you. Our awakening is certain. It is contained in our inherent Buddha nature. It is an, also in the, our nature to face the same challenges that Shakyamuni faced. And we too can awaken as Shakyamuni did. Awaken to our own ignorance. You know, we are all facing possible death or enlightenment every day. In the past two years, in the past two years, this has become more of a reality to us than I think ever before in our generations. But Venus rises up in the sky in the morning and the sun comes up soon after and the days lengthen at the winter solstice. But the light is always there. And yet, so is the darkness. As I said a little bit ago, stringing lights doesn't chase the darkness away. We don't chase our own Maras away through external rituals or activities, but only by looking inside to find our own light and having the earth declare it so. In touching the earth, Shakyamuni touches all that is, awakening from his own ignorance. He touches the great interdependence and compassion that is always there within our very nature, within our earthbound selves. We don't have to be heavenly creatures to be awakened. We are earthbound, but we can awaken. Shakyamuni's enlightenment experience is, in fact, ours. It is the one truth that when conditions of darkness or ignorance are present, then the light of wisdom isn't seeing. And when the wisdom lights up the darkness of our ignorance, then ignorance ceases to be. As the Zen master Dogen said, although we refer to Shakyamuni reaching or attaining enlightenment of the Dharma, it is more accurate to say that Shakyamuni was attained by the Dharma. I believe that can be said of any teacher who transmits his own deep understanding to you through his teaching. We are captivated. We fall in love with the teaching and the teacher and the feeling it inspires in us. If we try to remember feeling that way, then the opening words of the Sambutsuge or Tambutsuge which is a part of the larger Pure Land Sutra, will not seem far-fetched nor a distant mythical story with no meaning for us. So using both my earlier examples from the original Pali Canon and now from the Mahayana Sutras, like the Pure Land Sutra, we can see the same, same teaching. See, when Dharmakara, the hero of the story in the larger Pure Land Sutra, Dharmakara is the hero because he later goes on to become Amida Buddha. When Dharmakara gushes over the Buddha, his teacher, he says, quote, Your radiant face, like a mountain peak, catching the first burst of morning light, has awesome and unequaled majesty. Like black ink by comparison, 
are the sun, the moon, or the money treasure. Tathagata, such is your comparable face. The melody of your enlightenment fills the world, unquote. We know how that feels sometimes. I felt it this morning as I watched the sunrise on solstice. Feeling that way is a kind of falling in love. We have fallen in love with the light of the Buddha, the light of the Dharma, the immeasurable light and immeasurable life of Amida Buddha that has penetrated our dark material world. The fear, frustration, stress, anxiousness, uh, and anxiousness of the pandemic or climate change or threats to our democracy in the U.S. or our financial problems or health challenges and even our squabbles with our coworkers or family. The light opens our hearts so that we can forget about this mundane world and our little stories. At that moment, we too become illuminated. First, from the outside, like the sun rising, and then from the inside. When our hearts open and we are able to transcend ourself, if only for a moment. At that moment, we are connected to our teacher and his teacher and his teacher and his teacher and the Buddha bringing the Dharma, bringing the world of suchness, the ultimate spiritual world into the mundane world through us. Under the spell of the Buddha, our lives are full of meaning. Because we have become one with the Buddha and the Buddha nature that is our birthright, we can now, without hesitation, live as our true selves, our authentic selves, through the help of the Buddha who has opened a clear channel into our hearts and minds. With that channel open, our doubts will disperse and we can pursue our innermost aspiration with the faith given to us in grace through a field of influence, which is the pure land that the Buddha has shown to us through our teachers. The grace I find in Shakyamuni's enlightenment reaffirms my confidence and refuge in the Dharma, reaffirms my faith. Yes, I will say it, my faith, my confidence. What we are awakening to is that call of the spirit of our Buddha nature. That call is in the light that is forever and every place shining on us, lighting our path with wisdom and embracing us in compassion. Now, in Jodo Shinsu, or Shin, or Pure Land Buddhism, Amida, or Amitabha, is considered light without bounds, infinite light. In the larger Pure Land Sutra, it is written that there is no place that is not illuminated by the light emanating from Amida Buddha. It also says that when sentient beings encounter that light, their defilements are removed and they feel tenderness, joy, and pleasure. And then good thoughts arise. Doesn't that sound like the words describing this season? And we did nothing to cause that light to shine, and we do not have to work to encounter it. 
It is a light constantly and continuously shining on us, and in light unlike the sun or moon, or the lights I have strung for Christmas, it cannot be blocked by clouds or a lack of electricity. It is a grace given to us unearned. In our everyday lives, we can feel this life here with us now. It didn't just happen to Shakyamuni. It is happening now. And in the celebration of Christmas, we aren't celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago. We are celebrating the birth of the Christ Spirit in our hearts today and every day. The light is the wisdom of the Dharma, the wisdom that recognizes all things as perfect, all things full of meaning, all things as suchness. Haneda Sensei writes in his book, Dharma Breeze, when light comes into a dust-filled room, even the dust starts to shine. So, on this winter solstice, let us gasho to all our teachers, Shakyamuni and all the Buddhist masters and teachers, and all the teachers that are family, that are our family, neighbors, co-workers, pets, and the shining dust. They all share and reflect the grace of Amida's light, of Shakyamuni's light of wisdom, the wisdom light of Dharma, the light that grasped Shakyamuni, the absolute, ultimate Buddha nature that is in each and every one of us. Happy solstice. May the light shine on you and yours this day, this season, and every day. May it be so. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is currently studying and practicing the 37 practices of bodhisattvas as featured in previous episodes. And please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups, including the new Introduction to to Buddhism course, by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to a series of blogs, members-only podcasts, an education series, a private Facebook group, and, like I said, the Introduction to Buddhism study group. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. <laughs>